0: Hello and welcome to the Axiom Insights Learning and Development Podcast. I'm Scott Rutherford. This podcast is focused on the people, processes, content, and techniques that drive performance through learning. I'm excited to bring this conversation to you today. This episode is called The Hiring Manager's Perspective. And I'm joined by three L&D professionals who have agreed to share their thoughts as hiring managers to help both those of you who are recruiting new members of your teams, but also to give real insight that, as a candidate, you can use when you're seeking a new role. My guests are Dan Collier, Senior Director of Talent and Leadership Development at Suffolk Construction. Tammy Senna, Senior Director of Talent and Client Services at Axiom Learning Solutions, and Pam Moyer, the Director of Learning and Enablement at Origami Risk. And with that, let's start with Pam.
1: My name is Pam Moyer, and I am the Director of Learning and Enablement at Origami Risk. I have been in the learning field for my entire career, over 25 years at this point, and I have... um, led various teams from instructional design teams all the way up to an entire learning organization with facilitators and admins and all of those fun things. Um, And at Origami Risk right now, we are building a new learning organization, which is what I'm super excited about and what we're doing together.
0: Great. Thanks, Pam. Dan, let me uh, turn to you and and, uh, welcome you to the podcast.
2: Sure. Thank you, Scott. So my name is Dan Collier. I am the Senior Director of Talent and Leadership Development here at Suffolk Construction. Uh, It's a role I've been in almost a year now. Uh, Prior to that, for the previous three years, I've been the Head of Learning and Development here, so across all programs. Um, And prior to that, I spent time at Fresenius Medical Care, uh, various other organizations where I have headed up teams in learning and development or leadership development, um, spanning over 30 odd years.
0: Okay. Yeah. And I'm, I'm in the same boat where, where, when I start to do the math, I I start to get unhappy, but uh, glad to have you on. And uh, finally, uh, last but not least, uh, Tammy, uh, you're joining with a somewhat unique perspective here because you both are involved in sourcing candidates, but also recommending candidates. So you, 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 are that connector in this process. But uh, let me step back and, and Tammy, if you introduce yourself.
3: Sure. My name's is Tammy Senna. I'm the Senior Director of Talent Management and Client Services at Axiom. I've been with the company almost seven years this fall. Um, time flies when you're having fun and learning a lot. Um, my role here is I wear a few different hats, I'd say. Um, I do manage the recruiting team, and I also assist in the sourcing effort. So if they're finding new candidates, I'm reviewing candidates before they're going over to clients, and also establishing more closely those relationships with the clients. So when you have that instructional design need, you can come to me, we can scope your requirement, and find that right candidate for your assignment.
0: Great, thanks, Tammy. So let's jump right into the whole notion of the right candidate. So when you're looking for someone, and I'm going to pick on instructional design because that's that's a big part of what we do, but we can also talk about other roles. But looking at instructional design uh, candidates, what is it you're looking for when when you're when you're trying to fill a role? Dan, do you want to start with that one?
2: Sure. So when we have a need here, and uh, I should also share that at one point in that career journey, I also did contract staffing for the learning and development space for a few years. So I've kind of been on both sides of the fence. Um, and the experience that I had from there has helped me as an internal, um, really kind of see through, um, some of the, uh, challenges you can see on a, on a conventional resume or, or people's backgrounds. So what we're really looking for, um, is experience, is um, satisfaction from previous clients, is um, some good examples of creative work that goes across a variety of different challenges. Um, Not necessarily seeing someone who mm, takes the same approach towards a variety of different problems, um, but really has that creativity to understand what, what the the challenge is in how to bring the right solutions or or a few solutions that would be able to fit for the need.
1: I completely agree. I think one of the things that I would add to it is you see the, somebody's resume and you can see that they're qualified. They have the experience. But for me, it really is around that conversation to get what their definition is of training and when it meets the need and um, what learning looks like in 2023 and beyond. Uh, I think that's one of my first kind of deciding factors early on is where are they in the decision, at least their own definition of what learning is.
3: I would just say from a staffing perspective, I can can understand, Dan, now that you've had experience on both sides, because when you have an assignment in the past, your requirements have been very detailed. So it's very easy for us to align the right prospective candidate with your role. Um, because you know what that contractor is going to be asking for questions about your role and about your organization. So, you know, the more concrete of a requirement that we can get, the more able we are able to get that right match and the right fit for, for your assignment.
0: Pam, you used a phrase that I, I want to uh, follow up on for a second, because you, you, you used the phrase of, of sort of how they define training and what training is. So what do you mean by that? How have you seen people define training differently?
1: Yeah, I think um, based on my experience, the non-learning people think training is something else than it really is, right? So for me, the way that I define it is training is passive in something that you receive. So a presentation, one-way knowledge transfer. And I really think of learning as something that you do. So learning is interactive and engaged and maybe uncomfortable for the learner. And that's really what we're looking for in our organization of the type of learning that we are building. It is much less of the lecture of the past and 100 PowerPoint slides and much more of flipping it around and self-discovery and self-exploration and really building that confidence for the learner.
0: So when you're looking at someone's portfolio, uh, how does that come to life for you? How, how can you tell when you're looking at materials? I mean, I, I think you referenced uh, having a diversity of approaches, but uh, how, what, what shines when you're looking at materials?
1: For me, it really is that creativity, as you mentioned, and the interactive. So it's it's the interactivity, which is much more than just pressing next slide or clicking to continue. It really is getting some information, processing that information, and then doing something with it. So for for my work products that I would be looking at, I'm looking for that. Here's some information. Here's a way that you can apply this knowledge and do something with it before you move on to the next topic. And then, of course, modern, right? So it's not 45 minutes long. It's more on the micro learning. It's more digestible. Um, so that's really what I'm looking for in the samples that I look at.
0: Dan, what about you?
2: Yeah, I, I would say similar. Uh, it's, you know, what are they building and designing that's engaging um, and, and and how much time is going through the, the learner's seat time between those engagements, right? So we want to make sure that there are things they need to interact with on a regular basis so it doesn't become too passive for them. Uh, the other thing that I think might be unique in, in our approach is I think we don't look for someone that has just one type of an experience background in an industry. Like we're a construction firm. We don't necessarily look for people who have done a lot of work for construction firms, but rather the opposite. We want people who have worked in a variety of industries. And have had a lot of challenges across them, so that we can kind of see how do they adapt. How curious are they about learning the industry they're coming to work for, so that they can really stay engaged themselves.
0: And that's sort of a philosophical uh, approach to the hire anyway, because you know when you, when you look for someone who's coming in from a different industry, part of the benefit, at least, and I'm. I'm just speaking for myself as as being a, been a hiring manager at very when you bring someone in from an adjacent or a totally different industry, they have a different perspective and a different uh, type of experience. and And you can avoid uh, you know having a sort of a siloed mentality in your team.
3: Well, I, I know that we we come across we definitely want to provide an instructional designer that has that breadth of experience. So different industries, different types of learning, but we, we see all types of, of folks that are looking at contract work. So it could be, you know, folks that have been doing it for years. It could be folks that may have been recently laid off for a full-time job. They've been permanent all their life. Now they're looking at contract. Or it's, they're flipping industries entirely. And we see a lot of that higher ed um, pool of people that are really wanting to transition more into corporate learning. So from a staffing perspective, it's really diving into, even if the industry is slightly different, what are those transferable skills that my client is looking for that you're bringing to the table that we can really bring to light you know, with the submittal to give some commonalities to what they've done in the past and what they might be able to bring to you in the future?
1: I think Dan said it earlier with just um, somebody who is persistently curious and wants to learn new things, and really is motivated by learning a new industry or a new topic. Because as a as an instructional designer, as you said, it's it's easier to come in without preconceived notions or knowledge. Um, well, not easier, but <laughs> better in the learning world. Uh, so that then you can really translate to the you know the entry level person that you're trying to to transfer information. And I think as being a lifelong learner or being in the learning field, that's where that can um, consistent curiosity comes from of wanting to always learn new things and being curious.
0: So when you're looking at a candidate who's coming in from you know, an adjacent field, higher ed, uh, we, we've seen uh, a fair number of uh, people trying to move in from K-12 education into uh, uh, corporate learning and development. Um, getting back to uh, the, sort of the transposition of work sample, as an example, how important then is it, or, or how do, how, do, how should the candidate approach taking Uh, uh, something in their portfolio that they've developed for a middle school classroom, as an example, and bringing that forward as an example of of their thinking and thought process to corporate learning and development. Uh, Have you seen that? And how how, how would you ask them to help you understand the work?
1: I think for me, in that instance, it is the story behind it, right? So how did this come to be? Because every Learning that we're putting together always has constraints and requirements and things you can and can't do, which same thing in, in a middle school thing. So it would be kind of like taking me back to the beginning of how did this come to be? Was it just something that, you know, a problem that you were trying to solve or knowledge that you have to try to transfer? So it would really be exp- having the person be able to explain to me how this product came to
2: life rather than just taking it on its own.
0: Yeah, to which gets back to a little bit to Dan. You were talking about uh, defining the spec.
2: Yeah, yeah, and and I think what I would add to, to what Pam is sharing is, um, I I may be a little more rigorous around some conventional instructional design practices, um, and and we we'll want to see that in the work. Um, I've been around long enough to have experienced where, where technology around authoring tools has allowed people who have come in without the instructional design. Um, background and, and knowledge and experience to come in and, and kind of build training programs um, more from a from a technology side than from a an ID side, um, and you can see that when you start to go through. and And that's been one of my um, kind of things that I watch for, especially with people transitioning out of academia, is not having the the, the kind of the core adult learning theory and the instructional design principles that you're looking for, for really solid um, program development.
0: Going down the path on technologies for a minute, though, I think that's something I'd I'd love to get your thoughts on, because, you know, I I think as we all know, there are a few big names in in the instructional design world, Um, and there's hundreds, if not thousands of others. So if you're looking at a candidate and you're tr- and you're, you're saying, okay, well, do you, do you know uh, Articulate? And does a candidate who is technology savvy on another tool uh, and knows the adult learning theory have a chance at a role where you've named the tool and it's not something they've used before? I don't want to say which skills are more important, but, but is it easier to learn the tech or to learn the theory? and which do you think is more important?
2: In my opinion, it is easier to learn the tech than it is the theory. Um, and that, that's just been my experience. Um, and at the same time, you have to know that there are some industry uh, norms or, or expected that there is some core technology that most people should have under their belt, and, and Articulate will be one of those. Um, and None of us, I don't, uh, I don't think, are looking for a one-trick pony. So, what we want to see in a portfolio is using the right tool for the right solution to give the right learner experience. And so, when I am looking through, I want to see, I want to see videos in Beyond or, or some other work that Camtasia. I want to see how they're using tools like Camtasia in concert with Articulate and, and, and able to, to bring tools together to get the overall experience.
1: I completely agree with that, Dan. It's about the right thing at the right time. And just because you can do something in a software, it doesn't mean you should. It can <laughs> be distracting.
0: If someone brings you a, a solution using a technology you haven't seen before, that sounds like it could be a good thing then. Mm.
2: Absolutely. Mm-hmm.
0: So with that said, Tammy, how do you manage the hundreds, if not thousands, of possible uh, technologies and tools? How do you get your arms around what tools a candidate has used?
3: Um, well, obviously, we want to have as varied of a, of a network as possible. Um, and aside from the tool expertise, I mean, if Dan or Pam are coming to me looking for a contractor and they say the, the learning is going to be built in Storyline, uh, articulate storyline, we would never submit anybody that did not have experience with that tool. I mean, it wouldn't get by me to go to them.
0: Just sort of chasing that hypothetical. So, if you have a candidate who, who has articulate storyline experience, obviously that's a match with the requirement you're going to pass that along. What if you have someone who's really, really strong in everything else? Would you go back to the candidate and say, hey, by the way, maybe you want to get on LinkedIn learning and, and go do a self-study and bone yeah. and up on this particular tool?
3: Absolutely. I mean, especially those folks that are trying to transit transition in from say K through twelve, they might they may have a learning background that is a, a different audience than what our clients are typically training for. Um But there are certain tools, to Dan's point, that most instructional designers will have some experience in. So it's, you know, seeing if they can download some free trials of different softwares and creating samples of things. I mean, during the pandemic, uh, clients were saying, have them put something together as easy as how to wash your hands appropriately. It doesn't have to be, you know, this real learning initiative, it's a matter of presenting to the client how creative you can be, how, in, how, um, how much functionality within each of the software you're able to utilize, uh, because some of them have lots of bells and whistles, but maybe, you know, some designers only know the entr- entry-level package, but there's a lot of back-end cool things you can do. Um, that's really what our job here is at Axiom we wanna match the right contractor to the right opportunity, but on the flip side, when I'm speaking with new people from a talent perspective, we wanna make sure that we're presenting them opportunities about things they're passionate about. So from an instructional design perspective, you might have somebody that's really passionate about the designs, the design aspect and kind of putting that vision together and then passing it along to someone that has more expertise with the tool and actually building it. So we really need to hone in on what's the passion, what really drives their creativity along that process. And then again, aligning that particular function or need um, with the client's request.
0: Seems to me that that what we're talking about is is sort of a little bit of storytelling uh, for the, for the, uh, candidate to say, well, you know, here's, here's the situation that this, that, the, that this, uh, this task came to me in this kind con- in this, at this company, here is the context, here were the business pressures, uh, here are the drivers of, of the request. Here's how we acted upon it and scoped it. Here's how I cre- created a solution and here's what happened, you know, which is a storytelling arc. Um, and, and, uh, Frankly, this is something that it, 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 not just an instructional design piece of advice I've heard this uh, and used this to some degree in my own career whenever you're going to an interview in a position you want to help people understand the decisions you made on the work you're presenting in the context of in the context it was created
1: right absolutely <clears throat> yes that's why I had met. Mentor- kind of story behind it of how did you get here? Because again, in some of those questions, how did you come up with your learning objectives? How did you come up with your performance outcomes? And that's really where to Dan's point, you can tell if it's, well, somebody just gave this to me and told me to build it, or did I really do that analysis up front with a SME trying to find out what we were. That's where you, you get into the products and the solutions can speak for themselves, but you do need to understand the story behind it.
2: And it can also be very helpful to get them to tell you some stories about projects that they really didn't enjoy ones that didn't work out well what you know what is that i always try to get candidates to give me some of their horror stories of of clients or particular projects or particular solutions that didn't work out the way they had expected and what did they learn from that
0: yeah and that can be very uh, very enlightening
1: I think the other thing I'll add to kind of back to your question about if somebody didn't already know the tech stack or the tools that you had, um, I think for me, when I'm looking for a contractor, it's to supplement my existing team. So I'm not really looking to upskill a contractor. I need them to come in and upskill us. But from an FTE perspective, like a full-time employee, if I had somebody from a career path perspective that wanted to, you know, migrate into learning or at least even, you know, rotate around and try it. I would be willing to, to invest in that person to teach them these tools. Uh, like for example, if somebody came from graphic artist and they were, you know, uh, I don't know, an expert in Photoshop. Well, that's transferable too. And we use that or they've done beyond on the side or something. We can incorporate that as well. So I'd be more willing to invest in an employee candidate. Um, And maybe it's a contractor that I'm supplementing to help me train the employee that I have.
2: (laughs) Right. And and another point about investing and Pam, I'll build up what you're saying is not that it's always a requirement for us. Um, Often it's a red flag. If the, the contractor doesn't have licensure for any of the tools It makes me a little concerned about how committed they are to to actually doing that job and being a contractor. And so I will be looking for for things, you know, given the right person in in some instances, we have been able to provide them what they didn't have because there was enough of something else that convinced me Mm -hmm. they were committed to the role. But a a contractor coming in that doesn't have any of their own licenses in any of the software um, will always be a red flag for me.
0: Less so with a an FTE hire, I would imagine. But yeah. uh, there, though, there is some expectation that I think in any any field that um, you know, if you've been in the field for five or ten years, which is a you know, typical level of experience that we deal with, um, you will have picked up some of the tools on your own over right. time. That's sort of the that's sort of the normal expectation, right?
1: Yeah. And I think to that point, Dan, just because I, I maybe did use Articulate once four years ago. There's been a lot of changes to it, right? Enhancements, so if you don't have your own and you're not staying up to date on the new technology or even new integrations, then that definitely is a red flag of how serious you are.
0: So thinking about other, I know we've been focused a little bit on instructional designers, but uh, uh, they're not the only people on the team. So I wanted to broaden the conversation a little bit and think about other roles that that you're hiring, um, whether LMS administrator or learning strategist or, or, or similar roles uh is the advice different and how is it different for other roles because in in when instructional designers have have the uh, advantage I guess to use that word of <clears throat> having a portfolio they they've they've developed materials and they can come in and show you um, other roles might not be able to do that the same way so how How would you advise someone coming in for a different role to approach the application and and to show off their best side?
3: Just from a staffing perspective, Scott, I mean, it it is different because there's nothing really tangible to look at to say, okay, I I helped strategize on this project and this was the outcome. Um, It's more it's more conversational. It's more. So tell me about your projects. You know, what was what was the business goal who, who was part of your team, um, you know, really digging into the details and and how that strategy came about to, to propose the solution that was implemented. Um, it's more discussion-based. It's more um, sometimes looking to see who this person might be connected to that we've done work with in the past. Um, we love to speak with our known network of people um, to, to get some feedback. a lot of, it's a very close-knit community. A lot of these people have worked with each other before. Um, so it's great to hear from somebody that you've been successful. Yes. Um, you know, Pam was the strategist on this project and she led the team. It was successful. Um, So referrals and, and looking at your network to see if anyone's collaborated with them, but really having those deep conversations about, well, really tell me about that project and what did you do specifically to assist in that strategy you know, point of the project.
1: And one place where I've taken that further is then if they're coming to me as just, you know, the content developer. So I was just given this. So then I'll ask, well, if you were the instructional designer, what would be different? Or what were some things that you might do differently or might strategize differently? Or even some instances where they have influenced the designer of, you know what, maybe we should do this by collaborating and having that conversation. So that always goes a long way too.
2: Yeah, in addition to all of that, which I completely agree with, I'll often look for their overall learning industry familiarity. You know, especially if they're coming from an LMS background, I want to know how much they know about the whole variety of LMSs yeah. out there and what some of the advantages and disadvantages are in each. Um, if they're coming in as a program manager, I want to know what kind of practices or or tech tools they're using to manage programs. Mm-hmm. Um, I look for what associations they're affiliated with. Are they, you know, joining ATD? Are they joining Training Industry? Are they familiar with this as an industry? And, and are they able to come in and really kind of know what's available to help make them successful in their contract with me.
0: So what you're looking for then as you're talking to them is you're trying to get a sense of their problem solving, their, their uh, uh, I hesitate to use the word soft skills, but, but to get a sense of how they would interact with other members of your team, you're assessing how do they think, how do they behave and how do they fit?
3: Yeah, absolutely. And Scott, I'll say, in working with Pam and Dan both, um, over over the past seven years, um, they they've both had part of their teams in on the interview process. So they are getting their folks that are working with them day in and day out as part of that interview process. Um, which I think is fantastic. Um, it's not just the hiring manager that's going to be working with that teammate or that contractor for six months. It's the whole team. So I like that approach um, and everyone kind of getting their own angle and able to ask you know, the, the, the questions that are important to them on what they'd be looking for in someone joining their team. So I think that's always been very beneficial as well.
0: It makes a lot of sense because the different members of the team a would uh, each have their own perspective and look at the candidate differently. Yeah. But b um, as a manager involving members of your team, it's it, it's it's delegation of authority and agency, which is mm-hmm. in my mind never a bad thing.
2: Yeah. Yes.
0: As we as we think about the, the the topic, and I want to sort of wrap up on on this last point, which is. And again, thinking of this in terms of, of giving advice to candidates, people who people are you know, coming into the field or looking for, looking for the next opportunity, from the candidates you've worked with and the teams you've led, what do you wish candidates did more of or maybe took more time to learn before they came knocking on the door? Dan, do you want to start off on that one?
2: I don't know necessarily, Scott, if it's take time to learn what I really look for. Um, is for candidates to be honest, to be transparent, to describe the kind of work they don't want to do, to describe what's going on in their life that could cause limitations. Because all of those are the things you're going to find out in the first few weeks of working together anyway. And I prefer to know where they fit. On all of those things, it's part of the reason why the entire team here is part of the interview process. Um, we, we're actually very strategic about how we do that. Uh, everyone has their own group of questions they're going to ask from their own perspectives, so that we can kind of weed out some of those concerns that are that are there, um, and then you know really kind of find out what what makes you joyful. What really do you want to be part of here? What's kind of the work that's most challenging? What haven't you had an opportunity to do that you think Suffolk could offer you? And then, you know, that's really where the conversation wants to go is to find out who's going to be that fit. Um, You're not going to bat a thousand, right? You're not going to, not everyone that you bring on is is going to be what you hope they were going to be. Um, But taking that time to get to know the candidate Yes, for their skills and their experience and their and their creativity and their talent, and also who they are and what are the other things going on in their life, really help round out that opportunity for success on both sides.
1: For me, it's also the business impact and the return on investment, right? So, um, all too often, I've I've interacted with instructional designer that has the mad skills, right, and could do an amazing, amazing tech. But we don't have the time nor the budget to do that. So we have to cut those corners. And sometimes that can be a little deflating to somebody who's super creative. So I think it's that balance of understanding the return on investment of our own time, the shelf life of what it is that we're building. Is it worth, you know, a, a lot of time and money? Um, or is it something that's only going to live for six months anyways? So that sort of understanding that we are on the business side, right? We're here to, to enable the business. Um, and and that's sometimes a hard hard balance for us.
0: Yeah. And I think and Pam, Pam and Dan, you both sort of mentioned what a, a, a facet of what I would, uh, what I would uh, frame as sort of difficult feedback there, uh, Pam, whether it's, whether it's, you know, pushing back on, on the scope and saying, this is not what we need. It's um, saying no in a way, or Dan, having someone's come into an interview and say, you know what? I, I can do that work, but I, I don't really enjoy it. It's going to be difficult for the candidate to have the, 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 uh, Comfort level and trust to, to make those sorts of statements, right? Yeah. So how how do you how do you build that in the in the interview conversations? You know, saying this won't be held against you if you're honest.
2: Honestly, it, it it's through modeling that kind of honesty. So you know, I will I'll tell them there is absolutely work that uh, I don't enjoy doing that I understand is is part of the job. Um, what I try to do is is be forthright about it and say, okay, I can I can weather it for you know, whatever it takes to get through this and knowing that there's more challenging or interesting work behind that is always helpful. Um, So I I really do encourage them. Now, not everybody is going to feel comfortable enough, as you said, Scott, um, but I try to model that for them in in that opportunity.
0: My thanks again to Pam Moyer, Tammy Senna, and Dan Collier. If you'd like to connect with Pam, Dan, Tammy, or me, I'll have links to each of our LinkedIn profiles on the episode page at axiomlearningsolutions.com slash podcast. And if you're looking to expand your skills as an l professional, one of the many resources available to you is a resources list on the Axiom website. It's under Axiom Insights, but you can also find a link to that resources list on the podcast episode page. This podcast is a production of Axiom Learning Solutions. Axiom is a learning services company providing learning professionals with the people and resources needed to accomplish virtually any learning project, including staff augmentation from our network of thousands of vetted professionals, and also project support for learning projects of any type, including content updates and new content creation. To learn more about Axiom or to discuss your learning project, contact us at axiomlearningsolutions.com. And thanks again for listening to
2: the Axiom Insights Podcast.